Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still do not believe. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of everyone he has given me, but raise them all up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. You may be seated. So last week we had a fantastic message that was brought by Pastor Corey, where Jesus fed 5,000. And as, as Corey said last week, uh, it was probably more like ten to 20,000 because it was 5,000 men, right? Women and children didn't count. Um, but when you think about eating, if we only counted the men that came through the Christmas dinner, we may be fed 100. So to put that into perspective, right, we have 400 people that came through, give or take, last year. Right? So Jesus fed 5,000, and it was not a hugely coordinated event where we had booths and people helping. Jesus was like, hey, I need some food. Does anybody have food? Right? We had the fish. We had the loaves. And that's the start of the second half of this chapter, is that Jesus multiplied food for the people, and they ate fish, and they ate bread. And then what happened? Well, Jesus was excited. Right, it actually says that when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by themselves. Right, now that is an interesting thought. Jesus does this miraculous sign, and people are so sure that he is the prophet that they're like, no, you're going to be the king. No, we're, we're going to go, we're marching to Rome, let's go. Jesus is like, whoa, calm down. But I want to focus on the fact that these people were so sure of who Jesus was at the end of this miracle that they were ready to force him to be their king. It's going to be really important for the second half of this chapter. See, we, uh, we continue on. Jesus uh, goes away. He, he goes up into the hills. And it gets late. And the apostles look around. They're like, maybe, maybe Jesus like, decided to take the trail and walk to the other side. And so they get on their boat. They're the only boat that leaves. And they cross the sea to the other side. All right? They're headed to uh, the, the church that's on the other side, the town that's there. And uh, Jesus is not with them. Right? Everybody saw him go off into the hills. But around about midnight, it got dark and stormy. And the waves were rough and choppy. And what did they see? Jesus walking across the water. And it's at this point that they're like, hey, Jesus, we're really glad you're here. It was getting a little weird out here, a little windy, a little wavy. And Jesus gets into the boat, and suddenly they're there. They're on the other side. And that's where we're going to start today. See, the, the next morning, the people wake up, and they look for Jesus. Right? They're still on the other side of the lake. Jesus has crossed the lake with his disciples. But the people on the other side, they look up, and they're like, oh, one boat left. We still have a couple of boats here. Where is everyone at? They must have crossed to the other side. 
But Jesus didn't cross. We saw him go into the hills. John actually writes that they knew Jesus did not arrive with the disciples. And so they cross the ocean, or the, the sea, and they get there, and here's Jesus. And their response is, Jesus, how did you get here? See, they were looking for more signs, more miracles, more wonders, and that is exactly what they were given. Jesus fed 5,000 men, along with countless other women and children. Then Jesus walked across the sea to get where he was going, and the people come up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, we want some more bread. Isn't that the logical response? Jesus says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life. The food which the Son of God will, excuse me, the Son of Man will give you. For God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So when they said to him, What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? So I'm going to pause right there. Right? Think about this for a second. The people come to him and they say, Feed us. We're hungry. And Jesus' response is, don't worry about bread that perishes. Don't worry about physical things. Worry about the bread of life. Worry about eternal life, living forever. But these people are physically minded. What is their response? Well, what do I have to do? This is one of those things where we're going to be talking a lot this week about the difference between the perspective of the crowd and the way that we read it today. See, we're not Jewish. But they had an understanding. See, Jewish law was how you were saved under Judaism. You had to follow the Torah. You had to do all of the things that you could to be saved. So the people were asking Jesus, what is it? What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? They're thinking about this from this physical Jewish mindset. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. Jesus answers them. Uh, they said, well, um, Jesus replied, this is the deed God requires, to believe in the one whom he sent. And so they said to him, what miraculous sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe in you? Jesus just fed 5,000 people, probably closer to 20, and walked across an ocean, right? They were so certain he was the Messiah and the king that they're ready to fight to make him king. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I, am, I am actually the son of God. Uh, you, you eat the bread of eternal life, and, and you'll live forever. And their response is, prove it. So Jesus says, or so they say, what miraculous sign will you perform so that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us his bread all the time. Again, these people were so caught up in the physical and the tangible. They were lacking spiritual discipline. Jesus was trying to build understanding and anticipation for heavenly bread. Right? These people started this equation. They said, well, Moses gave us manna from heaven. Manna from heaven was this bread that God had given the Israelites when they left Egypt. 
and it would fall every day like dew on the ground. It was flakes, and they would then grind these flakes up and make bread. Now, the thing about manna is it lasts one day. If you kept it longer than one day, it was actually against the Torah, it was against the law, and it would actually spoil and go bad, except for on Sabbath where they could keep enough for two days. And there was enough, God provided exactly enough for all of his people. No one went hungry. This was truly bread of life. It sustained them in the desert. And Jesus is saying, Moses didn't send you bread, God sent you bread. But more than just the bread that God sent the Israelites leaving Egypt, he is sending eternal bread, the bread of life. But these people were confused. This is a hard teaching to understand. Now, what we have to remember is that this crowd was mixed. There were unbelievers as well as disciples in the crowd. And they were so focused on the physical things that Jesus had just done that they completely missed the metaphor that he was giving them. He was not saying that he is literally a loaf of bread descended from heaven. That would be a little weird. He is saying that God the Father sent him as a type of bread, as manna in the wilderness sustained the Israelites, so he would sustain all of mankind with eternal life. What an awesome thought. But they didn't understand, and their response was, Sir, give us this bread all the time. See, these people had a physical mindset, and they had a Jewish mindset. Right? They wanted deeds. What deeds do we need to do? And Jesus responds, believe. That's it. Right? What must we do? This is the deed God requires, to believe in the one whom he sent. That's it. But they missed that because they were so focused on the deeds that they had done through the Torah. And again, they wanted to see the signs. It wasn't enough that he fed 5,000. It wasn't enough that he'd walked across the water. It wasn't enough that he had gone before this. He had healed the sick. He had healed the lame. He had multiplied water into wine. Jesus' ministry was well on his way at this point in time. People knew who he was. He had followers, right? These disciples were following him because they wanted to see, is he the Messiah? Now, I think about in the very beginning of the book of John, John the Baptist had two disciples that left him to follow Jesus. Right? It was common for rabbis to have disciples, to have these followers. And so these people would follow Jesus going, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And they were so convinced one day when they saw the signs, when they felt the power, when they saw the things that God did. And then the next day, Jesus is like, here's what it means to be saved. And they say, give us bread. This is people thinking from a physical mindset. And they were so caught up in the traditions of the past that they missed the message that Jesus was giving. But this is where Jesus uses bread. He's going to continue for the rest of this chapter because they understand what manna was. So Jesus continues. In verse 35, he said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still do not believe. I told you 
that you have seen me and still do not believe. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of everyone he has given me, but raise them all up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is making three very important points here about bread. See, Jesus starts off with something that is really controversial. At the end of this chapter, this multitude that had followed Jesus, many of them are going to disperse and leave. And part of it has to do with that statement right there. See, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. That's a big statement. In the same way that manna came down from heaven, I came down from heaven. In the same way that manna brought health and healing, brought life and salvation to the Israelites as they walked through the desert, I bring salvation. This is the will of my Father, that I would be the bread of life. For everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is speaking in terms that the people should be able to understand. I came down from heaven like manna. I, like bread, bring healing, bring salvation, bring fullness of life. I am the Messiah. But this is also a fulfilling and a renewing of the covenant. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews were expecting to see manna. We see it in Nehemiah 9.15, in Psalm 78.24, that there is this belief that the Messiah will renew the covenant of God with his people and bring manna from heaven. It is a recurring belief. So they're looking for a renewing of manna from heaven. And so, how do they respond? In verse 41, they say, the Jews who were hostile to Jesus began complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Right? They knew the prophecies, but they were expecting literal manna, not a God who was to be the manna. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus replied, don't complain to me about one another. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. This is really important. There are two things here. Everyone who hears and learns. Say, hears and learns. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. And then he follows it up with this odd kind of aside. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I tell you the solemn truth. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that has come down from heaven so that a person may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. (coughs) So Jesus is making it very clear here exactly who he is and what he's come to do. He has now said, I am greater than the manna that was sent. The manna eventually led to death, but if you eat of my flesh, then you will have eternal life. And what is this bread? He specifically says, the bread that I will give is my flesh. What's interesting about this passage, and this is where a lot of people get caught up, is it talks here a lot about how God the Father draws people to Jesus. How does God the Father draw? We just said them. Two things. Taught and heard. Right? If we hear the things of God, if he hears and learns from the Father, he comes to me. To hear the words of Jesus, this preaching that was happening over and over and over, Jesus is telling the people, all of the law and the prophets points to me. Right? You want to talk about manna from heaven? I am the bread of life. Earlier, when he was talking with the woman at the well, right? God brought forth water in the wilderness. I am the water of everlasting life. I will give you a drink that will keep you alive forever. One drink, that's all you need. Jesus continually repeats this motif. He's telling people exactly who he is. And this is the strongest point in the book of John. We talk about this every week, but why did John write his gospel? So that everyone would know exactly who Jesus was. There would be no doubt that Jesus is God. Now, Jesus says, only those who are drawn by the Father can come to me. So they have to be taught by God. They have to hear the words of Jesus, the teachings of the prophet, and respond to them. Jesus understood this was a hard teaching, that Jesus Christ was fully God, that he came down from heaven. He was born unto Mary and Joseph. Many of these people actually probably knew Jesus from a young boy. It would be like somebody from our church Maybe Josie in a couple of years coming and standing in front of you all and saying, I am the son of man. I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. We'd be like, wait a second. I know Danny. Like, I know the reeds. this, This is not right. But Jesus is saying, everything points to me throughout the Bible. The second part is not only hearing and learning from the Father, but it's not a miraculous sign. Being drawn by God is not this once incredible, it's not the feeding of the 5,000. We saw that. 5,000 people saw Jesus, saw him feed, and their response is, wait, give us a sign. Jesus specifically says, no one has seen the Father, thank you very much, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. All right, Jesus is saying here that don't expect miraculous. Don't expect to see God. I saw God. God has given me a task. Your job is to be taught by God and to believe in me. And Jesus continues in verse 52. When the Jews who were hostile to Jesus began to argue with one another, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. 
For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood resides in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the bread your ancestors ate, but then later died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. This is a huge bit of scripture that is so important and is vital for us to understanding what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh. But Jesus has been speaking in metaphor this entire time, right? A lot of times, we're going to be getting into a second, uh, the difference between a Catholic interpretation and a Protestant interpretation of the scripture. But what I want to point out here is Jesus didn't use future tense. He didn't say, you will eat of my flesh and you will drink of my blood. He said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is a, an in-the-moment thing. And yet the people did not rush forward and begin to try and gnaw at Jesus. Right? They understood because of their culture what he was saying, and it was radically profound. Right? We grew, uh, many of us here have grown up in the church, and so we take communion and we think about eating flesh and drinking blood, and we kind of understand on some level what it means. But Jesus was making a very bold statement here. This is another reason, right? The first reason people turned away was he said, I came down from heaven. But this second statement, it was absolutely against the law to eat flesh of a human. There was no question about that. But moreover, Jews didn't, didn't eat any blood. They would, it was ritually required that you drain all of the blood from whatever animal you ate. Right? They didn't do blood pudding. They didn't do uh, you know, any, anything with blood. Not on their menu. So Jesus specifically saying, you have to drink my blood, was an offensive statement to them. Yet Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he's saying, drink blood. They're, whoa, whoa, this is not okay. Right? Jesus tells them to eat his flesh. This doesn't literally mean to consume flesh. It means to follow in his footsteps, to learn from his experiences. The point of food is not in the eating. The point of food, and let me tell you, right? this is something I have had to learn over many years. The point of food is not the eating. The point of food is to sustain life, to fuel you for the things to come, to nourish. And how much more do the teachings of Jesus sustain our lives than physical bread? How much more do the teachings of Jesus sustain our physical lives? It is both physical and spiritual. We can learn from the teachings of Jesus and walk out the things that he has taught us and be nourished physically and spiritually. Jesus finishes the comparison to manna, showing that the, men, uh, the manna would spoil after one day. We already talked about that. However, his flesh, his actions, his life, his teachings, they last forever. They were something that will cause us to be raised up with him on that last day. That is why Jesus came. So we have to eat of his flesh we have to follow in his teachings and in his footsteps. We have to drink of his blood. So blood has the connotation for a Jewish mindset of, of unclean, right? They couldn't eat anything with blood. But more than that, <clears throat> blood was seen as representing a violent death. 
right, multiple times in the, in the Old Testament, the blood of the innocent cries out. Right? We see blood used representing violent death. And so what Jesus is saying is, you have to partake in my death, in my violent death. He is foreshadowing what's going to come at the end of this book when he dies for all of mankind. Jesus is saying, we have to pick up our cross and follow him. It's not just enough to follow in his teachings, but we will be persecuted for his namesake. Our lives will be more difficult because we are followers of Jesus. A cultural issue here is eating and drinking. But there is a divide even amongst us as Protestants and Catholics, as Christians, as followers of Christ, of what does it mean when he says, my body is true food and my blood is true drink? See, there's the Catholic view that Jesus is not using a metaphor here and that this entire passage points to the Last Supper. It's where the idea of, here's your $5 word for the day. Everybody say transubstantiation. All right. So that is the Catholic belief that once the priest has blessed the bread and the cup, that it literally becomes flesh and blood. Right? They believe in the, what they would call the real presence of God, that Jesus' flesh is present when they take communion. And they are literally eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. And this is the scripture that they use to explain all of that. They say it completely changes the meaning of this passage from a metaphor pointing to Jesus as a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, as a fulfillment of manna, as a perfected form of sustaining life that comes from the Old Testament, to a new and kind of confusing instruction that no one could carry out in that moment. Right? Even though Jesus was commanding immediate action, he didn't say, eat of my flesh later. Rather, every command was of vital importance and required immediate action. You must eat of my flesh or you will die. Immediate action was required, and yet no one ate of Jesus' flesh. Now, the Protestant view, and uh, being that we're not Catholic or Orthodox, we are all Protestants, uh, is, the, is that this is a metaphor, that eating in the scriptures symbolizes appropriation. To eat of his flesh means to partake of his life and depend on him for sustenance in the wilderness of life. To drink his blood is to give ourselves over to suffering for his sake. Christ gave his blood for us. We drink his blood metaphorically and spiritually by partaking in suffering, that is, coming to the cross and dying to ourselves. So blood is dying to ourselves, and bread is living unto Christ. Now, we don't believe that this passage, Jesus was pointing to the Last Supper. But we believe that Jesus gives a perfect explanation of what it means at the Last Supper, to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. It's important to think about the fact that when we take communion, he is residing in us as we reside in him. It is a mutual indwelling. It's this idea that we are able to partake of God's flesh and blood as he fills us with his power 
and we reside under his salvation. So my question is this, what are you hungry for? Jesus specifically calls out that he is the bread of life, that it is not physical bread. Are you hungry for signs and miracles? Jesus says it is a wicked generation that desires signs and miracles. And even if you got signs and miracles, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 15,000 people watched Jesus take fish and bread, the lunch of a small boy, and feed a crowd that was 10 times or 100 times this size with enough left over that everyone was still able to grab baskets. Right? There was so much food. It was an abundance of blessing. But they still said, what sign are you going to show us that you're a great prophet? Do you want signs and wonders? Are you here for the good vibes? Right? Are you just here for happiness? Because I'll tell you this much. Jesus says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and that is not, you will live a happy life. Right? Joy comes from the Spirit of the Lord, but happiness is never promised to a Christian. We have joy that grows from our relationship with God, knowing that he is in control, and ultimately we know where he's going, where we're going, excuse me. I, I remember um, uh, Pastor Craig's sermon a few weeks ago where he, he was talking about how it didn't matter where he was going to go, or uh, I think this was um, uh, Denny's sermon a couple weeks ago, where he, he said it di- he, it, he didn't matter whether he lived or died because he knew where he was going. Right, that level of commitment to Jesus, that brings joy. Right? I'm either going to come witness to you people and you're going to get saved and go to heaven or you're going to kill me and I'm going to go to heaven. Great outcome either way. Right? What an amazing thought. And that brings so much joy. Are you here for riches? Are you here because you want your belly full? Right? Jesus' response to the crowds when they followed him is, you're just here because I fed you. We don't really think about what it's like in modern times to not eat, to not have food, to not have sustenance. But part of the reason these crowds were following him is because he fed them. They're hungry. They don't always get to eat. To be able to eat with an abundance was something incredible that many people had never experienced. What are you hungry for? Put yourself in the place of these disciples standing before the foot of Jesus. Where are you? Are you here for spiritual fullness? Are you here for the bread of life? Do you hear the word of the Father? Do you obey the words of the Son? Jesus' response to the crowd. Verse 59. Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Then many of his disciples when they heard these things, said, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? How many of you guys are like, yeah, this is super easy. I get all of this. Just no, no problem. Oh, good. Okay, I thought it was just me. Um, when Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, see, Jesus said that. Why? Because he said, I have come down from heaven. It was a direct response to their complaint. 
Remember, the Jews had multiple complaints against Jesus here. The first one was that he was saying, I have come down from heaven. So Jesus' response is, does this cause you to be offended? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Would you believe me then? It is not the Spirit, the one who gives, excuse me, um, the Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. See, Jesus knew who was in the crowd. He knew who was there for food, for happiness, right? There were people that were following him, like I said, just trying to decide, are you the Messiah? Are you going to march on to Rome and be this triumphant victor that's going to lead us out of slavery and we're going to overcome the Romans and rebuild the Jewish empire? And praise God, he's coming back. But Jesus' message was not one of conquer. It was of servant. It was not of overthrow, but of sustain. It was not a message of fight, but a message of feed. Jesus says, for Jesus already known from the beginning those who... Um, those were who did not believe, and so it was who would betray him. And Jesus added, because of this I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has allowed him to come. What does it mean to be drawn by the Father, to be allowed by the Father? That you hear and that you obey. The two words that we had talked about earlier, we hear and we learn from the Father. That's who can come to Jesus. After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is where we see the confession of his followers that surely he is the son of God, that he is true bread, that he has come down from heaven. What is the response of the people? Many quit following. A lot of the people that were there realized, wait, he's not going to make more, more sandwiches. I'm out. They're not providing food at this event? Oh, sorry. I was just here for that. Right? Many were seeing if Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus' response is not to overthrow and overcome, but to serve and to fill. And they said, you know, that's not the Messiah I'm looking for. See, I have a picture of who God is. And you don't fit God. So I'm going to go find God. Sorry, Jesus. Jesus offended some with his teaching. Body and blood, right? Eating the blood, eating the body. This was totally against Jewish law and belief. And some said, obviously, you are a heretical teacher. You don't teach the real gospel because you're telling me to do things that I shouldn't do. Others rejected his statements. I have come down from heaven. Jesus said, would you believe me if I raised myself up to heaven? And they wouldn't. Others rejected his desire for spiritual things over physical ones. This is the key here. 
This entire passage is talking about bread just after Jesus fed bread to 15 or 20 or 5,000 people. And Jesus is saying, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not bread. It's spiritual life. Many quit following, but few named him God. See, this mirrors how God chooses us in verse 65. As the worship team comes back up, Jesus called his disciples and said, follow me. We continually hear in this passage about how God draws those or God allows those to come. What does it mean? Jesus mirrored this in his life. Jesus was walking down the shore and saw two fishermen, and he said, follow me. And so they laid down their nets and followed him. He didn't say, believe in me, and you will be saved. It was just, follow me. We don't start with, believe in me. We start with, follow me. But we get to believe in him. The other followers could have believed. They followed him but they chose not to. So my question to you guys this is who are you? In the story of Jesus giving bread, who are you? Are you the followers, the disciples that came? They're following Jesus, trying to learn who he is. Do you come to church on Sunday genuinely seeking to know who God is, but you're kind of on the fence? You're like, you know, uh, fire insurance, right? I, I come to church. I, I, I think I know who Jesus is. I, I, I want to, I'm a Christian. But then you don't live it out. You walk out the doors and every day you live as if you weren't. Right? You follow Jesus to learn who he is, but you don't let it change you. You don't eat the bread of life. You don't drink the cup. Instead, you follow Jesus and wait for a sign. You wait for a miracle. You wait for something to change in your life. And ultimately, when nothing does, because you're not changing, you walk away. Maybe you're going to be offended this morning and leave. Right? Is this too much? Jesus said, is this too difficult for you? Are you offended? Are you a fair-weather Christian? I was when I was younger. I came to church, and I grew up in the church, but man, if things weren't going my way, I was on my knees crying out to God. God, save me. God, I have messed up royally. God, I need your help. But when things were going good, man, I was just living like everyone else. I was, I don't need God. I mean, I believe in Jesus, sure, whatever, but, uh, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to figure out who God is on my own. People would start to speak correction into my life. I don't need your correction. What are you doing? I have a relationship with God. You don't need to talk to me. And I'd get offended and I'd leave. I wouldn't press in. I didn't live out that iron sharpens iron. I lived out my life. Or are you one of the 12? Are you willing to lay down your life for the Messiah? Do you recognize who Jesus is? And do you let it actually change you? 
Guys, this is my challenge for everybody this morning is, as I was reading this, I was really convicted about where do I stand? Am I following Jesus, wanting to see signs and miracles, expecting to see manna from heaven, when Jesus says, I am all that you need, read my word? Have I walked away? Or am I living a constant relationship, a struggle against my flesh, laying everything down. The blood of Christ is dying to yourself and the bread of life is following him. Am I living that out? Am I one of the 12 whom Jesus turned to and said, are you not leaving too? Is my response, how could I leave? Where would I go? You're God. I, I, I have nothing else. I will follow you all of the days of my life. We're going to get into communion this morning, and we're going to do things a little differently. So if you guys notice, there's, um, there's food at the tables in the front of the church here. And the way that this is going to work is going to be slightly different. We're going to uh, eat of bread, but instead of eating bread that's wafers, it's actual bread. I want to thank Leslie and Braided Bread Ministry for short notice making some bread here because it's important that we understand what it looked like when Jesus sat down with his disciples at communion. See, we can understand what it means to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood because of the things that he taught us. He wasn't pointing to communion, but he sure does a fantastic job of explaining what it means. See, the tearing of the bread signifies his body being broken. This is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. See, that's the other reason as a Protestant, we don't believe that it literally becomes flesh. Because Jesus didn't say, here's my body, eat of it. He said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We tear the bread so that we can remember the body that was torn on the cross. And we pass it out because it's a symbol of Christ's life. The bread of life being spread amongst us as a family. And then we, who have the bread of life inside of us, the words that Jesus spoke, go out and share it. We are sustained not by physical bread, but by the words that Jesus, that we hide in our heart, and we take it out. Or we don't. 